Shalom Aleichem. We are here today to give a synopsis on the second, the Sikha, look at the Sikha of Parshas Bahar, look at the Sikha's Chelek Yud Beis. And the topic today is about Ribis. Ribis is the Hebrew word for interest, the prohibition against lending a fellow Jew a loan with interest, or for that matter, being party to such a transaction, such as being the borrower or a borrower or a witness or scribe. One is not allowed to be party to such a transaction. It's considered a very severe sin in the Torah, and it's actually repeated in a number of places in the Torah, this prohibition, and in the Code of Jewish Law, in Shulchan Aruch, is can be found in the section called Yeridea, which is the section of Shulchan Aruch devoted to ritual law, such as idol worship, the prohibition of idol worship, or all the laws of kosher are found in Yeridea. The laws of family purity are found in Yeridea. And indeed, these laws of Ribis are found there from chapter Kufnun Test to Kufayin Zayin. Almost 20 chapters in the Shulchan Aruch are there, are to be found over there in great detail, an exhaustive detail of how a Jew is to run his life in these matters. And of course, there's a way to, so to speak, get around it when the nation of Israel moved away from a being, a, being an agricultural society. Uh, it became necessary to find ways to allow to lend money with interest. And the way we do it is by actually changing the transaction into an investment rather than a loan. And here is not the place. And that is refer- to get into that. And that's what's referred to as a heter iska. Now, why would this be found in the section of Shulchan Aruch devoted to ritual law? Seemingly, there's an entire section of Shulchan Aruch, the Code of Jewish Law, called Chayisha Mishpat, the last section, hundreds of chapters long. And it's devoted to the Jewish law, halacha, Torah's opinion on all matters to do with the office, all matters to do with transactional law, legal, documents, court cases, everything, monetary issues. Why in the world would this halacha not be found over there? This is all very much a monetary issue. And the explanation is to be found in our sicha. Because as the Rebbe explains, this mitzvah, this prohibition against giving interest has nothing to do with a monetary issue. It's as if there are two planes of reality existing simultaneously. And on the one hand, on the monetary level, on the transactional level, from the morals and ethics even of the Torah itself, the money rightfully belongs to the lender. Interest makes perfect sense. But yet there's a whole different layer of reality, a different sphere a different, um, a different mode of existence where the Torah prohibits on a ritual level from a totally different place. It has nothing to do with monetary law. It has to do with just like you're not allowed to eat not kosher, you're not allowed to do this prohibition. And as indeed commentary, the early commentaries will explain, this is a special mitzvah, mitzvah ha'achva, v'hachesed, in the words of the Ramban, the brotherhood and the love that Hashem expects between Jewish people, like a brother and a sister, that just like a family member, one wouldn't lend, uh, it would be expected many times that you would lend without interest. So too it's expected Jewish people in their relationship with each other to be totally and absolutely a, a, able to do this from the level of kindness and love and brotherhood that's expected between two Jewish people. Now, what we're saying right now is not so simple, as a matter of fact. Of course, this, this has to be proved, discussed, especially in Talmudic passages. And in fact, we would have to, there is a place in the Talmud where it does imply that it's, there's an element of prohibition here. There's an element, 
in terms of monetary prohibition, that there's an element of theft involved, that you're making your friend lose money, you're robbing your friend somewhat of his money. And that, that, the explanation for that would be like Rashi writes in the Parsha of Mishpatim, like it's the bite of a snake, uh, which is the Hebrew word for ribis, that just like you got a little bite and then it blows up in a person's entire body. Similarly, over here, it's one of the wonders of the world, as Einstein said, the compounding an investment, com- the, the, the idea of, of, of compounding is one of the seven wonders of the world, he said. And over here also, one man's loss is another person's gain. Um, or the reality is that interest blows up on a person out of nowhere unexpectedly. So in a way, there's an element of there's an element of theft involved as well in these terms. However, over there, the Talmudic passage explains why is it not literally theft? Because in the end of the day, the person agreed and they knew about it and they've agreed to it. Two parties to a transaction. And in a way, like any other transaction, that the buyer prefers the money more than the product. I mean, I'm sorry, the seller prefers the money more than the product and the buyer prefers the product more than the money and they agreed. So this person is willing to pay the ribis, the interest for the sake of the product, which in this case is the money. So that would be the halacha b'payel. And there are indeed rishonim that who make that argument. Namely, in our sicha, it would be the Ramban. The Ramban, in his book on mitzvahs of the Ramam's book, Mitzvahs Haseh Yud Zayin, he would indeed say there's an element of theft over here, which is why one has to return the money. And in fact, he counted as a mitzvah to return the money, just as there's a mitzvah to return that which is stolen. Because even though there's an element that's true, the person agreed, but still it popped up on a person, I would say similar, the Rebbe doesn't say this last point, but I would say similar to the problem with gambling, that even though the person consented, but they were expecting to win the game. Therefore, there is an element of stealing. Um, and over here as well, one has a similar element. However, the halacha is not like the Ramban. The majority opinion does not go with that. In fact, the majority opinion would follow the wording found in a different place in the Talmud, in the Gemara, where it refers to the concept of lending of ribis as agar notar, like that you're paying the person rent. Why rent? Because in fact, when you lend someone money, you're actually losing not just the money, but you could have been investing that money. Part and parcel of that money is the additional gain that a person could have made from investment of that money. And therefore, the therefore it's, you're actually paying rent for the use that the other person could have been making with that money. And from that perspective, it's perfectly and absolutely logical that you should pay ribis, and it rightfully belongs to the lender, the ribis that he is giving. And indeed, the extreme position of that is an opinion by the name of the Ritva, and the Ritva would go so far as to say, and he does go so far as to say, that if a person goes through this transaction, and the lender has the interest, and the borrower wants to forgive because according to halacha, you have to return the interest. The court will make you return that interest. But let's say the borrower wants to for now forgive the money. He says, you know what? You don't have to give it back to me. He says, you have absolutely no right to do that. Why? Because it, as the Ritva says, it has nothing to do with him. It never even belonged to you. It actually rightfully and absolutely belongs to the lender. Torah, the Hashem, the heaven said that you have to return it. And therefore, it has nothing to do with you. And therefore, you don't have the right to forego and say, don't return to me the money. And even those that disagree with the Ritva, 
the Rosh, the Rambam. It's not that they say, and and the code of Jewish law that you could forgive. It's not that they're saying that it's a monetary issue, that it's stolen, that it's theft. They just say that once heaven has placed this obligation for this individual to return the money to this individual, Hashem made it between the two of them, and therefore one is able to forgo the other. An example from our world, very uh, this is also our world, but an example one could give perhaps is like the way a parent could forgive their honor to their for, to their children. That uh, not, their children can never embarrass their parents or do something negative to their parents, but the special honor that one gives to one's parents could be forgiven because even though it's from heaven, the obligation, but heaven made it between two people, and therefore this one could forgo it. Now, this explains the fact that it exists on two planes of reality. This helps explain to us why, according to the Rambam, according to Maimonides, there's actually a biblical obligation that when one lends a non-Jew money to lend with interest, not to forgo the interest. Why would there be a biblical obligation to do so if there's something negative? We know we're not allowed to steal from a non-Jew, we're not allowed to cheat a non-Jew, and the answer is simple based on the above, because you are taking that which is rightfully yours, not that you're able to take it, might makes right. No, it belongs to you. It's absolutely part and absolutely yours. Part and parcel of money is the investment, is the money that you could have made from that money. And therefore, by you taking interest from the non-Jew, you're taking that which is yours. And Torah cares about the money of a Jew. What do we mean? The fact is that if that money rightfully belongs to you, you don't just give it away randomly. We're not talking about where someone's hungry per se. You just want to be a nice guy. You want to say, oh, you don't have to pay me back the interest. No, you have to take the interest. Why? Because that interest belongs to you. And what? why is it special? Why is Jewish money special? Because with Jewish money, you could support a Torah institution. You could marry off your children. You could do all the special mitzvot of the Torah. You could buy a beautiful pair of tefillin. Jewish money is very, very valuable, and it is yours. And one final thing that will become readily understood based on this idea that the money is actually yours, but the Torah just prohibits it between two Jews, is that when you have a Baal Tshuva, a person who wants to do tshuva, who is lending ribbis perhaps for years, and he wants to return it, the halacha is that you don't take it from him. Why? Because we want to open the path for tshuva. If the person would have to return all the interest they ever made, they would never repent. However, the Shulchan Aruch says that even if the person insists, a pious person would not accept that from him. Why not? By When it comes to theft, we say the same thing, that one should take the money. One should not accept the money back from a repentee, uh, uh, someone who repents for being a Ghana, for being a, a, a person who steals. However, if they return it, the Shulchan Aruch over there elsewhere says, Ein meichen, we don't pro- you, don't, should, you don't protest if the person insists that they want to return it. Why over here do we say that a pious person would not return it and they would not accept it back and would leave it in the hands of the lender? And the answer is because rightfully, in a way, it belongs to the hands of the lender. Now, the lender, of course, has to return it, has to do everything in his power. But in terms of the plane of reality, of monetary uh, uh, issues, the money actually rightfully belongs to the lender. And therefore, the, you, one could argue that the soul, the sparks of holiness, that particular money belongs to the soul of the lender. And therefore, a pious person would allow it to be in the hands of the lender, to remain in the hands of the lender. Um, so the money should be where it rightfully belongs because that person could elevate that money. That money belongs to that person's neshama, that person's soul.